Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Live from Orlando, Florida, you're now listening to the Ozone Podcast, the voice of Orlando Magic fans. Join us every week for a unique fan perspective on all of the latest magic news and updates. The show starts now. Welcome back to another episode of the Ozone Podcast, the voice of Magic fans. Your co-host today is myself, Anthony. We got Al and a very special guest joining us, senior writer for The Athletic, covers the Orlando Magic, Josh Robbins. What's going on, sir? I don't know how special I am, but I, I'm going to try to be for the, for the duration of this podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. No, th- thank you for joining us. I can only imagine how busy you are, especially with so much going on right now. Um, and But before we get into um, us talking about Magic basketball, I, it, the All-Star break is coming up. And during this time frame, is it is it a break for you also? Is this is this a time frame where you're able to kind of step back a little bit and and kind of relax, or you know, is it is it still full throttle for you? It'll be nice to have a couple nights without games, but a, a colleague and I at the a colleague at the Athletic, Darnell Mayberry, and I have a big project that we're aiming to have published on or around Tuesday. So there's a lot of for both of us to to finish up. I don't, I'm not so I'm not convinced that this will be uh, much of a of a restful break. We'll see. I I would like to say I'm optimistic, but I'm not. And it, but I do enjoy that project. It'll be a good project. Who do we need to talk to to make sure that you get that rest in? Because we need you uh, fully energized with so much that's going on. <laughs> don't worry, I'll be fully energized. <laughs> but thanks for the offer. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, jo- Josh, you've been covering the team for what it seems like a, a really long while, since 2009, and so many different teams that, um, or or players, should I say, that have kind of come in and come out of, the, of this franchise. Is there any team in particular that, that stands out to you that you can honestly say that um, maybe was your favorite covering, whether it be just the ease of being able to talk to the players or um, the environment that you worked at. Is there, is there any team that you can honestly say that, man, this year was probably my favorite out of, you know, all the teams that you've covered? No, not really. Uh, I know that's a disappointing answer, but I, I, for pretty much from year one to to this year, the players have been extremely professional, the coaches, uh, executives. So in that sense, there's really no difference. Uh, course you never forget your first year on a beat uh, in my case I certainly won't forget the first year I started to to travel regularly uh, so it, they've all been pretty enjoyable for sure it's been a fun beat it's been a fun beat to cover I can imagine and now and now you joined the team right when the team truly became a good team right when you had Dwight kind of taking its peak and the team going to the finals back in 09 um, out of those years, any, any special memories, any special trips, that, any games that you remember that really kind of brought out uh, that experience as a new writer covering the Magic? And again, such a fantastic season the team had that year. Well, I remember 
the Sentinel put me on to help out in the latter stages of their, their playoff run in 08, 09. So they called me in to, to help out with uh, some games in the, the Cavs Magic Series, then the Celtics Magic Series, or excuse me, the, Ma- the Celtics Series first, then the Cavs Series, followed by the finals. And I'd covered a lot of sports under extraordinarily tight deadlines right before then. But I learned, including college basketball, but I learned very quickly that things change very quickly in the NBA, even between two high-level teams playing a finals game. Things change on a dime. And when you're writing a game story, uh, you better be prepared for wild swings. So that was a that was a real education. That was a real kick real education seventh game in American league championship series or a world series that, that goes very slowly compared to even a regular season NBA game. That was, that was a, that was a quick awakening for sure. Right. I think that that goes to it. Um, as far as the NBA, the NBA off season is a season in its own. Um, e- even for the journalists and the reporters, it seems like you guys are just as busy during that time frame you know, as it is during the actual season. And when I think about other major league sports, and obviously I'm not as passionate about the other ones, but um, even from people who are, they always tell me that, you know, the the NBA, there's just so much, so much more that goes into it from across the board, um, even from the fan base. The business side is interesting to a lot of people in the fan base. Um, so I, I get where you where you say that you know it's it's constantly changing. Now you've had to experience um, the NBA now uh, during the pandemic. Has it been challenging for you at all to to kind of uh, work in a new way where now your interviews some of them have to be through uh, Zoom conferences and and not be there in person? I'll be happy to answer that. But before I do, I just want to provide a I don't know, a statement first, just to say really the people who are really suffering are those who've lost family members who have family members who remain sick or or people who have lost their jobs their businesses that that that's the that's the real tragedy so nothing that any of us have experienced from a coverage standpoint can compare to that i wouldn't even suggest that but just in terms of the jobs we do just within that extraordinarily narrow scope. Yes, it's tough. It's tough. Uh, you can't cover the game. You can't cover a pro anything, no matter what you're covering by, by doing it remotely or virtually, uh, you need to have that face-to-face interaction. Uh, the, you need to be, uh, as close to the center of the action as possible. So, Yes, it is tougher now. Uh, all of us are making do uh, compared to the real suffering. It, it, in the, it, it's not even even close to a blip on the radar screen. But uh, I think every single journalist out there looks forward. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we're looking forward to the end of the pandemic. The laundry list is long. This pandemic couldn't end quickly enough. Just been rotten i know at least it seems like we're, we're getting to that point now where we can finally see the end of it we got now i think it's 17 nba teams allowing fans back into the arena 
uh, the vaccines seem to be getting uh, more and more out there for the public to, to start getting access to them. So it seems like we're, we're seeing the end of it. And hopefully that continues because, like you mentioned, I think we all miss uh, just regular life in general. Now, I'm not even talking about sports, just being able to see the family, being able to see our friends in, in a regular setting. Um, so hopefully we can get to that point uh, fairly quickly here. Um, but I did want to ask you something that we always hear David Steele and, and Dante talk about in their podcast and their broadcast the traveling aspect with the team. Um, I know so you get to go with the team and travel with them at times and cover them in person. Do you miss any of that? Are there any particular cities that you miss visiting that you're not having the access to at this moment? Uh, any restaurants that you that you loved visiting that you're not having the access to right now because of the pandemic? Um, so can you share some of that with us? Oh, sure. The, yes, the answer is yes, I miss it, miss it terribly. Uh, now they are act Dante and and David Steele, Jeff Turner. They are actually on the team plane, mm. and so uh, as I try to remind them all the time, they have it a hundred times easier than anyone who goes commercial. <laughs> uh, they have no right to complain. Not that I've ever heard them complain. They haven't. Uh, I think a, a journalist derives a lot of energy from being on the road. Yes, it's exhausting. It's tiring uh, to get up immediately after covering a game until two in the morning and then catching the first flight out to the next night. Yes, it's fatiguing, but it's really energizing too. And and of course you need to be around the team in order to have a, a true, your best sense of the pulse of the team. So I miss it. Do I miss certain cities without question? I, I miss a lot of cities that probably people wouldn't expect me to miss. I was just thinking the other day uh, how much I missed going to Memphis because that was the last game they played on the road under re- real circumstances. That's right. uh, I even miss, I say even miss Minneapolis because it's freezing cold there. I miss it. Miss uh, the chili at the Loon Cafe practically across the street from the Target Center. Uh, I miss Sacramento. Very few journalists, I think, enjoy covering games in Sacramento. I disagree with them. I love it there. Portland, LA, I'd just go on and on. Uh, I miss that. Of course, that's not the real lure of the job, but it's a it's a it's a fortunate benefit. I've been very lucky just to see all of our country and 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 Toronto. Um, lucky that way. Lucky that way. Yeah, I mean, it's. I can imagine that even networking, um, just being able to either have dinner or meet up with some of the other journalists. Uh, I'm sure that that kind of hinders that aspect of the job that, you know, I'm sure it's, it's a benefit of the traveling. Now this, this season has been, it's been an interesting season. We started off the season pretty hot. Um, a lot of the fan base were a little disappointed um, with the off season. We were kind of expecting more was going to happen, but um, the, the team, the front office really wanted us to, to kind of go with what we had, you know, not having Jonathan Isaac was obviously a kind of, um, hindered some of the fan base um, perception or expectation for the team. But one of the highlights was us being able to one see Cole Anthony, which um, I'm not sure if it was a surprise for everyone else, but it was a surprise draft pick. And in, in my opinion, for me, just because it was, you know, outside of what we were expecting the front office to do. And then Chumo Kiki, a healthy Chumo Kiki getting on the court. Um, seeing these players um, up to this point of the season, um, obviously injuries have occurred with them as well. But have they exceeded your expectations where maybe they've played a little bit better than what you thought 
you know, these two rookies were, were able to contribute to this team up to now? Uh, in many cases, yes. I'm very impressed with Cole Anthony's toughness, his grit. He obviously loves the game. I think I, I agree with Steve Clifford when he says all those qualities give him a chance to be really, really good. Uh, so that same, and then Chuma Okiki, I, I am lucky in the sense that I had seen Chuma Okiki up close in person before the pandemic. So I had a sense of how big he was. That surprised me when I stood next to him, how big he was. Um, and now that I know how large he is, I've been surprised at how, how bouncy, how quick on his feet he is. He's not a speedster, but he's, he's, uh, he's agile. He's, he's, he's fast. Uh, he's got a very unusual sense and feel for the game on offense for a rookie. Uh, I can't think of many other magic young players who they've had in the time I've covered them who had a better sense of his strengths and his weaknesses than he does. And he makes his teammates play better. And I, I think his three point shot is extraordinarily promising. So uh, I think that they are two uh, promising prospects. I, I think they're probably still will be complementary players in the long term, but they have the possibility to exceed that. Yeah, I think for me personally, that what has surprised me the most is, like you mentioned, Okiki shooting. Um, I, you just think of a rookie coming into the NBA, not having any practice time in him. He'll be maybe afraid at the beginning to, you know, to, to look for his shot. And he hasn't been at all. Like he, if he's open, he's shooting that three-point shot. And not only that, but he's actually making them as well. Um, so that's impressive for Magic fans because we haven't had a rookie come out of college with shooting potential, let's call it that. It's always been defensive-oriented players. Um, and then, of course, Cole Anthony as well, known as, as a guy that can score. To see him do it at the NBA level, again, with no summer league, no training camp, really a full training camp, um, it, it's exciting for us Magic fans because, again, we haven't really seen that in, in seems like, forever. Um, so something for us fans to look forward to uh, as they progress and they continue to grow in their careers. Yeah, true, and... A lot of the fault for this is, is me. I didn't expect Mo Bamba to be a potentially elite three-point shooter. Uh, so when I wrote about him to begin with, yeah, I didn't expect I, I just didn't expect a seven foot seven footer uh, to get there as quickly as he has, if ever at all. He turned it turned out that in retrospect, he's as much of a shooter as Chumo Kiki and, and Cole Anthony. So in reality, their last, uh, their last three draft picks have have scoring potential in that sense. Yeah, and that's it, it. I had a conversation with a couple of friends not too long ago, and um, we we viewed Cole Anthony as a fun draft pick, if if I for for lack of better words. Um, and we've really enjoyed. I mean, it's unfortunate how. Um, he was able to get the amount of minutes that he's playing with the injury of Markel Fultz. And if there's one thing that I can say about both Chuma and Cole Anthony is that um, we've already seen at least a little bit of growth um, from from the two of them. And, you know, unfortunately, with all the injuries, um, they're they're forced to get more of an experience. Um, but have you have you felt as if this is really helping with their development? Because a, a lot of the fear was, you know, maybe Cole Anthony isn't ready, but we're kind of forced to throw him into the fire. Um, but with the amount of 
I would imagine the the time that he's played before his injury, do you feel long-term it would benefit him being able to play in that role and maybe next season even better the relationship with him and Markel with his comfortability on the floor? I think it has helped him uh, because he has the toughness not to get discouraged or significantly discouraged by failure. Uh, To put a young point guard and he's not a natural point guard, so he, it was always going to be a difficult adjustment for him uh, to put him, throw him into the fire as a rookie would be tough under the best of circumstances. He's had the worst of circumstances, like all the other rookies um, in the league this year because of the lack of summer league pandemic, all that. Uh, it would be really disconcerting if he wasn't as tough as he is, if he didn't love the game as much as he does. So, yes, I do think it's helped him. Uh, he'll get back uh, into the swing of things once he's fully healed. His sling was off last night. I think that's probably pro- that's certainly progress. Uh, I-, I think it will help him in the long run. Say, so, And the minutes, Chumo Kiki, that's going to help. It's going to help him in the long run, too. No question. No question. It's not always that way, though, with a rookie. Deanna, one one name you brought up a few minutes ago was Mo Bamba. Uh, and again, we know him and Cole Anthony are really good friends. Um, I did want to ask you, because this is a hot topic, anywhere that you follow the magic, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram, wherever you follow the magic, it's a huge topic. And that is, what are your, your thoughts on the way that the magic are bringing up Mo Bamba along? We know he got hurt last season. He lost some minutes because of that. Then COVID happened, heading into the bubble. Um, so he missed a large portion of that. But finally, it seems like he is healthy. Injuries are not an issue anymore. But yet, we're still having this debate whether uh, why is he not getting more minutes ahead of Ken Birch? We recently saw or heard from Clifford saying, hey, he's finally going to get more minutes. He needs to get his conditioning up. And yet, the game against Dallas, we did not see him out there at all. Um, so in your opinion, you know, what do you think of the situation and are the magic doing the right things by Mo Bamba at this particular moment? You're right. The, the essential commonality to the entirety of Mo Bamba's career has been, uh, injuries or in the case of his, his COVID situation last year, illness. Fortunately, he wasn't that sick, but it had some after effects on him. Uh, what I'd like to point out is that the magic have actually tried two approaches to Mo Bamba's development. And I don't think that's often mentioned or discussed among fans. Uh, maybe I don't meant, write about it enough in my writing. Uh, he, he was given the second string center job during his first two seasons. Uh, and I think that there would have been a very, I think it was obvious at, in year one, Ken Birch, the better player. Team played better later in the season when Ken Birch became the second string center uh the next year mo's second year after a rough off season which he couldn't but that really hampered his development he was a, he was the second string center again uh was he gifted minutes maybe that's too strong a word team needed to see him play but he was the second string center now the team actually for the most part has done something different uh I don't think the playing situation his first two years helped him much. I don't. I don't agree with the sense that all you have to do is put any young player out on the floor and he'll automatically blossom. I don't think so. That wasn't the case with J.J. Redick. Uh, 
somehow yeah so i don't i don't think a, a one size fits all approach always helps the situation i i think mo now needs to play i think this season it's not over but even if the magic make the play in tournament they don't have much of a chance to make any noise if they were to get out of the play in tournament i think they have to see what the third year version of mo bamba is like and as much as all of us who follow the team and are interested in the team uh, and i'm including journalists in there who have no rooting interest uh, i'm as eager as you are to see what mo can do i don't think it's fair to him right now to evaluate on how he's playing now because he can't build a rhythm uh, it, it almost has to be game after game where he plays it's a rotten situation yeah and i think that's what makes it upsetting is the fact that you know as a fan we, we watch him play 10 minutes on a blowout and he puts up you know 14 points six rebounds three blocks you're like okay we saw some good stuff in there but then we don't see him for you know two to three games and then even after that, he plays some solid minutes. Again, I, I forgot the team that we played uh, before Dallas, and he's passing by me, but he did really well in the minutes that he got in that game. And then we didn't see him at all against the Dallas in the Dallas game. So I think it's, it's just unfortunate because, like you said, in order for us to see who he really is, has he really developed, you got to give him minutes. You got to give him a run where you say, hey, for the next week at the very least, let's give you 10 minutes, 12 minutes a night, show us something. And I, we just feel like, that's been happening. He's been blocking shots. He's been more aggressive, grabbing rebounds. He's been hitting the three. Um, but then you don't see him for a few games. So it's just tough as a fan base to kind of say, hey, it, that's fair to him. The, the take now is, even I, I go to Amway pretty much to every game. You can hear the grounds in the crowd. You can hear the crowd wanting and chanting his name. It's now become a thing where the fans want to see him play. And mainly it's too because of the season, how it's gone. The, the team is now winning. So it's a perfect time to kind of see what he can do out there if not now, then when? Well, good, good points. I understand fans' frustration. Uh, what I have discovered in my reporting and in, in his prior two years is that there's a big gap between the way fans feel he's played and the way people inside the sport, and by that I mean scouts, executives for other teams, uh, feel he's played. Uh, there's a discrepancy there. Uh, shot blocking, and he does block shots at an elite rate, I agree. That's not necessarily indicative of rim protection. Mm -hmm. I get that the analytics say he's uh, he has extreme potential and he's actually played very well. Uh, that doesn't always meet the eye test. Maybe we're wrong. People who see it in with their with our eyes, maybe we're wrong. Maybe the fans are right. Uh, I do agree, though, that it's important for the team to see what he can do. It's critical. And no one has seen the best version of Mo Bamba yet. And you mentioned the fourth quarter, I think it was against the Bulls in that blowout. He looked great. On his best day, Ken Birch couldn't have done what Mo did that night. So this is one of the top, this should be one of the team's top priorities the rest of the year. And then, and then he's yeah. got to, he's got to show what he can do, and he's got to do it with a super high motor, uh, a motor that's equal to Ken Burgess. 
And I and and to your point, I think that Cliff probably has, you know, he he obviously has a difficult job because it's it's his job to to put the best player to to put the players in the best position to be able to win games. Um, at the same time, you're trying to balance development. Um, in this instance, we're we're speaking Mobamba. Now, the fear could also be that there's friction, uh, and this is from an outside perspective, but um, it could be seen that maybe there's friction between Mo Bamba and Coach Clifford. An example um, is early on in the season when Mo Bamba, uh, when Coach Clifford has said that Mo Bamba's ways away, and then you had an interview with Mo Bamba where he said, well, that's just Cliff saying that it's ways away if you're not available to him right now. Um, from, from how you see things, is there a disconnect between Cliff and Mobamba or is Cliff just trying to do the best that he can with the players that he have and, and put his position, he put his team in position one. I don't think there's a personal disconnect. Mm -hmm. I don't, I think, uh, that, uh, right now there's a discrepancy within the, within people who really follow and, and know the game from the inside of the game between what between the quality of Mo's play and the way fans and perhaps Mo himself perceives his play. Uh, and he should have every opportunity to go show that he's right. Uh, that and the and that the fans are right, that the magic were smart to pick him six overall. So I don't think that this is a personal issue. I do think that anytime someone is not playing uh, to the degree he or she feels like he should be playing, uh, they're going to get frustrated. And I think Mo has dealt with this uh, publicly like a true professional, like a true professional. I don't think you could want more more from that. I ha I haven't seen him pout. I haven't seen haven't heard him complain. He's had every opportunity to complain. He ha he has not. I, I think I think that speaks a lot about him. Uh, about a twenty. Excuse me. I think he's a, I think he's just twenty one. Uh, that speaks a lot about a young person to to deal with this in that way. Yeah, because even if you see him, you see him now. He's he looks happy. Like even when he's not on the court, he's still cheering on his team. He's not the last person on the bench slouching. Like he's up. He's still rooting for for his teammates. 22 years old. I just looked it up. My apologies. No, that's right. Um, Mo Bamba is a good guy. That That's a universal sentiment, a universal sentiment. The other universal sentiment is, is that no one has yet seen the best version of Mo Bamba. Yeah, I think we're, we're all excited for that moment whenever, whenever that happens. And hopefully it is this season that we can see a little bit of that, those those glimpses that he's shown, but actually do it consistently. And, and again, be, be that backup center that, that we at least need right now behind Vooch uh, as a driving force. Because again, we, we all know the potential is there. We just got to see it kind of play out now and, and, and see him play to his potential. Um, Josh, now I do want to turn it here quickly to, to the trade deadline. We are sitting here today, three weeks away from the trade deadline. I know a lot of rumors came out today, actually, from, from Shams and the Athletics doing an amazing job covering all of this. Um, but one guy I do want to bring up first, uh, you wrote about him recently, is Evan Fournier and, and his future with the Orlando Magic. We've talked about it in our podcast, seems like every episode, we know something's going to happen between now and the trade deadline, more, more than likely. But I wanted to ask you personally, you know, what, what are your thoughts on Evan Fournier? Is there a chance that he might be on a Magic uniform? past 
March 25th, or do you think the Magic are pretty much set on, they have to move on and, and get something back in the event that he does want to walk away and, and go to a different team in the offseason? I think a trade before the deadline is a real possibility. I also, I, I'm going to sound like I'm straddling the fence here. It's, I don't think it's a certainty that he gets traded. Uh, my gut feeling is that he will not be with the team next year for primarily for financial reasons. You just simply can't keep everyone you want to keep in the salary cap age, particularly if they're in their prime and looking for one more long-term contract. Uh, that's the issue. That's the problem with the cap. Uh, so uh, I think it really does depend on who and what in the way of draft picks the Magic could gain as a return for, for Evan. And most people within the league would tell you that the trade deadline discussions don't truly heat up until 72 hours before the deadline, sometimes 48 hours. So whatever I would answer for you right now wouldn't mean diddly, so to speak. But except to say, I do think it's a very real possibility that he gets traded at the deadline. I'm sorry I can't offer more specificity. If I had it, I swear I would say so. Uh, but that's, uh, that's my take on it at the moment. Yeah. In, in your article, Josh, you shed a lot of light on what seems like an impossible situation with Evan Fournier. If we keep him, it's going to hurt us financially. Um, if we trade him, the, what you're getting in return back for um, an expiring contract may not be equivalent. Um, and if we did make a move um, to replace, because he does carry a lot of the weight offensively and one of the better shootings on the team, then we're we're kind of hoping that we utilize an asset like Aaron Gordon to be able to uh, accommodate that that void. Now, granted, with the roster that we have, who do you see as the most valuable asset that the Magic have that realistically um, will be moved at the deadline? Um, obviously, I, I saw the same news about um, you know the Celtics and and the Hornets interested in Nikola Vucevic. I'm not 100% sold that um, that is the best move to have, but who who would you say is is by far the most valuable asset to to bring in to move out and bring in to better the team? Uh I think right now the the best asset that they have is Nick Vucevic. He's a two-time All-Star. He's in the middle of an All-Star season. He's one of the few centers who's a superb three-point shooter and top-notch passer slash decision maker. Uh, he's not Jokic, uh, but he's uh, he's within the ballpark. He's in within the arena, let's say. Uh, where I think trading Vooch would be very difficult is there are only 20, a total of 24 All-Stars every season. The Magic are lucky enough to have one of them. Uh, for, for a decade now, people have been talking about, well, the Magic don't have a star. Well, is he a game-changing superstar? No, but, do you, but he is an All-Star. So I don't anticipate him being traded. I, I, I don't. Uh, We've discussed Fournier. I, I suppose it's a, a real possibility that Aaron Gordon could be traded. I, I suspect if one thing were to occur before the other, it would be Fournier followed by Gordon uh, sometime in the offseason. So 
But if you were to ask the best long-term asset on the team, I think it's Jonathan Isaac. But he's not going to be traded because he's in the middle of an injury and he is injury prone. So uh, he's not in play this trade deadline for sure. Yeah, because uh, the way that I always viewed it is kind of it's kind of like all, all these other teams, they can show all the interest they want in Nikola Vucevic, but is the front office really willing to part ways with it? And and today, because I, I was always under the assumption that it wasn't a good idea to move Nikola Vucevic um, because you weren't going to get back the same um, the same value that he's able to 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 provide you on the roster. Um, so when I heard today that you know the, uh, the executives are saying that in order for the ma- for the Magic to move on from Nikola Vucevic that we would need back a a pretty huge haul, um, which was surprising for me to hear. Um, and at the same time, it's I don't know I just can't see if there's one thing that the Magic haven't had to worry about in a really long time is is the center position and the idea of parting ways with uh, a player of Nikola Vucevic's caliber and now having a void at the center that is able to contribute what he's able to contribute it's um it's a little it's a little scary I'll be honest with you. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I hear where you're coming from. Uh he Magic are are what 13 and 23 right now? Mm-hmm. Where would they be under these circumstances? If Vucevic had missed half the games, they'd be nine and 27 at best, maybe. Uh, as with many of these things, be careful what, not you, Anthony, not you, Al, but be careful what you wish right. for. Be careful what you wish for when you, when people say, Hey, yeah, I'd like to see Evan Fournier go. Well, he's also a 40% career three point shooter who mm-hmm. scores 28 and a half, or excuse me, 18 and a half points a game. Uh, you lose him and you bring back no one in return, you're going to feel a hit. The team's going to feel a hit. Uh, these, I, I, The sentiment you just described, Anthony, about the void Butrich's departure would create, I'm sure that that would, is one of the stumbling blocks in Jeff Weltman's and John Hammond's mind, without question. Now, on the other spectrum of that, are the fans that say, hey, Vooch is playing out of his mind, best he's ever played in his life right now. Is this the time that Magic can cash in and say, hey, let's get a major haul for our star player, knowing that development is what's in the future, whether it is for Fultz or Isaac or Okiki, Anthony, all these young guys. It's that maybe at the right mindset to say, hey, he is 30 years old, turning 31 next year, next season. Do you cash in now on that player that you've developed and you've gotten to this point now that you can get a, a solid return back? Because a few years back, Vucevic would not have yielded you nothing in return of, of, of magnitude. Now he is. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on fans that think that way? Well, they're not wrong from an asset, man. I, I hate to use the word asset. Uh, you know, we're talking about people here. Yeah. If you're talking about his skill set, it's near elite. It's near elite. Certainly for the center position, offensively, it is elite. Fans are not wrong in terms of trying to bring back the best possible players or draft picks for Vucevic. Uh, All of this right now, though, is an assumption in our minds, yours, uh, Anthony's, and mine, that he would bring back 
um, um, that, he, that his trade value is very, very high. I suspect it's as high as it's been. Uh, fans are not wrong, but fans should think that this all that there's a third dimension here. If you if they if the team starts a major rebuild, it could take another ten years to get another two-time All Star. True, uh, that is true. And so much of what is important for next year is to get the most out of Jonathan Isaac, Markel Fultz, Chumo, Kiki, Cole Anthony, Mo Bamba. Uh, in the first four names I described, they all ostensibly would play alongside Vucevic, at least at times. And so if you don't have a quality offensive player along Vucevic's caliber, the development of all four of those players would be diminished because Magic have problems scoring now. Just imagine how bad it would be if there were no Vucevic. And I don't think that's the best thing for the growth of, of Markel, for J.I., Juma, Cole Anthony. Yeah, and I, I've always viewed uh, Nikola Vucevic as a player that would, would really last um, a, a while in, in being able to play in the prime that he's in. Um, because a, a lot of people bring up, well, you know, he's on the opposite side of 30. Um, but he's, this isn't a player that's mighty athletic. It's not like he's jumping out of the gym. It's a player that he puts himself in the right position. He, he's really, um, adapted in, in today's modern NBA where he's able to shoot on a very, very consistent basis. Um, and again, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there on record. He's not, I am on the, the island that I do not want to see Vucevic wear another team's uniform. Uh, even seeing, you know, DJ Augustine wearing a Bucks jersey is still weird to me. So just the idea of seeing Nikola Vucevic represent another team is is very difficult for me. Now this front office has also you you see their you see their footprint um, in in their draft picks that you know that we have on the roster from Cole Anthony, Jonathan Isaac, you know, including Markel Fultz and and Chumo Kiki. Now my question to you is. Is there a possibility or is there a thought in mind that it might be time to cash in on uh, on some of the younger prospects? Um, if you take a look at um, where we're kind of at and in the standings and adding another rookie to this already, what seems like now more young players on this team, is, is that the right move? I, I guess my question is, it, is it a good idea to have so many young players players um on this team with the amount of draft picks we've already um acclimated you're asking if the team is too young and it's not advisable to add another young guy to the mix yeah or or is it is it a good opportunity to maybe trade one of the young guys i don't think any of the young guys have significant trade value to the degree that magic fans would hope for at least uh, in Markel's, J.I.'s case, they're injured uh, and had been injured for the, at least half of their careers. Uh, we can go on down the line. Um, so you're, you, it's interesting you bring that up because I was just thinking about the rebuild of the Rob Hennigan rebuild. And one of the issues with that rebuild was that they had so many young players and so few, few quality veterans who were in their primes who would compete for playing time. And also a lot of those young guys cannibalized each other. Yeah, there's no idea who was the top person in the pecking order, the second person, the third, 
et cetera, et cetera. In this case, the pecking order is much clearer. And I think that level of structure helps young players. Vucevic is at the top. Fournier and Gordon are second 2A and 2B. Um, Terrence Ross, maybe 2C. Uh, so, n- no, I don't think it would, as long as there's though some veterans, in this case, Vooch especially, and, uh, I don't think that that's so much of an issue right now, especially with an older coaching staff that knows what it's doing. Um, yeah, I think if the Magic were to try to flip some of the young guys, that there would not be a significant return. I know, I know I sound like someone who is literally carrying a soaking wet blanket and throwing it right on people. <laughs> That's not my intention, but, but that, but that is, uh, I think that's where they are right now. And it's primarily because of injuries. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And, and one thing that as you guys are talking about this topic came into my mind is, so we know coach Clifford is on contract one more season, right? So next season is his last under contract. If we do go with this youth movement, right? so now, like Anthony said, we have five solid young players developing, one more incoming or less, a trade were to happen and we trade that pick. Is Coach Clifford the right coach to lead a young team next season? Yeah, Vooch may still be around, but the future is still kind of shaping up to be a young team here that, that will be developing. Do you see Coach Clifford being the right coach to lead that team with one year left in his contract? Or could you foresee a, a change? In, in the coaching seat. No, I think he's the right coach. I think he's a, I think he and his staff are, are near elite. They're certainly the best coaching staff top to bottom that this team has had since Stan Van Gundy. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. This whole notion that Steve Clifford can't coach young guys is ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Look top to bottom at the young guys he had in Charlotte. They're, they're not hot. For the most part, they weren't high ceiling prospects. And and the one high ceiling prospect who I guess was in year three when Clifford got there, Kemba Walker, developed to the fullest of his potential. Uh, uh, Cody Zeller, not a high ceiling prospect. Uh, Frank Kaminsky, no, no. Uh, Malik Monk, no. Uh, so this narrative, uh, I, I just think is false, this narrative that he doesn't play young guys, I don't think that's accurate either. For example, year one, year two, Mo Bamba played. This year, before they were totally overridden by injuries, Cole Anthony and Chuma played. So I think one of the things that, that fans don't take into account is experience. Uh, coaches who know what they're doing and the assistant coaches know what they're doing too, they are the best coaches, I think, to make players better. You speak to Vucevic, Ken Birch, uh, they credit not just Clifford, they 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 credit Mike Batiste. Jonathan Isaac credits uh, Pat Delaney, Markel Fultz, Steve Hetzel, uh, Wes Awundu when he was here, uh, credited Ty Corbin. Uh, so yes, I think I think that they're the right group. Now what would change what would change is if the front office decides to totally uh, hit rock bottom and lose for years in the hopes of getting the top draft pick uh, in the lottery. In that case, 
I think things would be miserable for Steve Clifford. I don't think he would want, well, I think it would be very unpleasant for him. I'm not saying he wouldn't want to be the coach anymore, but then I think the dynamic changes. I don't anticipate the team is going to go into a full-on rebuild. As a matter of fact, even if they do part ways with Evan and Aaron Gordon, you can make the, the case that with J.I. and Markel returning, the team would still be better, far better next year than it is now. And it it sounds like from from the fan base and, and kind of what we hear, it, it seems like uh, there's a lot of people that are kind of bipolar when it comes to Steve Clifford. Sometimes they love him, sometimes they don't. Some people complain about his rotations. The whole Obama situation has definitely um, uh, ruffled some feathers with, with some of the fan base. Um, but if there's one thing that I've always noticed and respected about our coaching staff is that um, uh, players have nothing but positive things to say about them. And it, when it, especially in where it's so easy to maybe lose a locker room, um, that's not the case with with this team whatsoever. And um, you know, this is this is a, a coach that has a long ties um, with the Orlando Magic, and I, I think fans quickly forget that we went a really really long time without seeing any postseason play, um, and in just a matter of um, a limited time, Clifford was able to get us back there. Another way to look at it, I think all that's well said. Um, Another way to look at it is, is can anyone look at the last two and a half seasons and say this team underachieved uh, with whatever, again, remembering that they've been injured for significant portions of, of uh, his tenure. Uh, I, I don't think it's reasonable to say that they could have done better. I think that he got the most ahead of this team. I mean, last night, they're down four starters. And correct me if I'm wrong here because it's a long list. Fournier, Gordon, Markel Fultz, J.I. And then another starter, uh, James James Ennis. He's out too. So um, you just can't win when you're that injured unless the one remaining guy you have is a top five player in the league. And the Magic don't have don't have that. And that, that brings up a good point. Uh, can the front office view this as, uh, I don't want to say an excuse, but a a reason um, for the outcome? Could they? Could there be a word where they say, well, you know, if, if we had a healthy roster, then this season would be completely different. Could there be a possibility that the Magic run it back? Yes, I suppose so. Uh, I think there's a danger, as I wrote before this season, I think there's a danger there. I think there's a danger there. Uh, At this team's best, it's probably not a second. It's not a second round team. It's not a team that's going to advance to the second round. Uh, But at its best during this crazy season, if it hadn't been injured, could this team now be the fifth or sixth seed, knowing that almost all the other teams around them are not at their best? Maybe. Maybe. But I think certainly that's the argument that they can make that, hey, if they weren't so injured, they'd be right in the, the middle of things. And I think that's a very dangerous way to view this group because there's not a single player aside from Vucevic on this roster who you can say is a definite future all-star. It's a very dangerous place to be in the NBA. 
I mean, one day, J.I. could become an all-star. Uh, if Markel Fultz gets his shot back, I think he'd shock a lot of people. But the fact that there's doubt, uh, might that's a problem. That's a problem. In Boston, there's no question of how good the young duo of Tatum and, and Jalen Brown is. That's a luxury. That team is set. As long as those players want to remain there, that team's set for the next eight years. And must be nice, right? <laughs> That's right. Um, last question for you, Josh, before we wrap it up today. Um, it's just a simple one here. If you were a betting man, would you place your chips on the Magic running it back next season? Or would you put your chips on the Magic making some drastic moves between the trade deadline and the offseason? Um, so basically saying next season the team will look drastically different than they do this season. Well, we're gonna we're gonna know a heck of a lot more three weeks from today. Uh for sure. Uh do I'd be surprised if Evan Fournier is back next year. Uh the degree I, I do encourage people to read my article as to on the athletic right now as to what that the cascade effect would be on the rest of the roster. Do I expect the team to go into a full rebuild next year? No, I don't. Uh, but I, I think the team will look different uh, at the at the start of next year. I do. Josh, uh, in, in case you don't hear it enough, uh, you do an amazing job covering this team. And if you are not subscribed to The Athletic, it is something that you should have done a year um a year ago because the amount of information and content that you bring out not only is it valuable um but one of the things that i appreciate about you the most is that you really have a a ear for the fan base and any any questions that you find is circulating um uh, one you're not afraid to ask it so you you hold the team accountable um and two you provide us the the answers to the questions that we have which um I know if unless people are subscribed and are reading your articles, um, it may be overlooked as if, you know, it's, it's something that you're not doing, but you do an amazing job um, all around. And I want to take the moment and just say that we, we definitely appreciate the amount of work that you put in. Well, my pleasure. And thank you. And I'll repeat my spiel that I usually say. It's not the job of professional journalists to root for a team or root against for a team. So in that sense, I'm, uh, I am disinterested, but that doesn't mean I'm not interested in the job I do. I, I love the job I do. And I think the team is, is fascinating, is fascinating. And I hope that comes through. Um, so I hope that makes sense. Uh, and I hope that passion and that energy comes through. So to hear you say that it, it's made my week. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Josh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, amazing episode. And thank you, everyone, for listening. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Ozone Podcast, the voice of magic fans. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Ozone Pod. And remember to subscribe and leave a five-star review on all your favorite podcast listening platforms. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, 
offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.